Welcome to another edition of Making Money with Ron Hebert, the financial coach, a retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, sidekick, retired broadcaster. We've been talking about the mining sector, Ron, a lot to chew on here, a lot of investment implications of different sectors. You talked in the beginning about the fact that there could be a commodity cycle and a super cycle, and you, you, you sort of have a niggling suspicion that this could be the start of one of those. Yeah, so let's define what they are first. Typically, when you have an economic cycle, type cycles last four to six years. This one's lasted longer because we've seen unprecedented intervention by government in the operation of business. But normally, if you have a four to six year cycle, it's in the last third of the cycle where economic activity is picked up that there started to be shortages in materials. And when that happens, the underlying stocks that produce it are making a ton of money, and they go up dramatically. So this usually takes place in the last third of an economic expansion. So anywhere between 18 months and two years is how long it lasts. So when you have a bull market in a normal cycle, you've got to be really fast on your feet getting in and getting out. And when individual commodity groups have their own price patterns, they can go through time spans where they experience extended lengths of time uh, when they're moving in the same direction simultaneously. So sometimes you'll get energy, agriculture, and mining going up or being in a bull market at the same time. And generally, these markets are powerful enough, and because of lack of investment activity, uh, where there's a shortage of mines and there's a shortage of oil and there's a shortage of agricultural uh, products, it takes a long time to catch up because you don't build a mine overnight. It can take eight to ten years. You don't just turn on extra oil and gas production overnight either. So you can end up in what we call a commodity super cycle. And in the last, oh, if you go back to 1899, there's been four distinct commodity price super cycles. The first one was 1899 to 1932. That lasted 33 years from bottom to bottom. And that was the first cycle which coincided with the industrialization of the United States. The second cycle was pre-World War II. And it ran from 1933 to 1961. It was 28 years. And it uh, began with the onset of global rearmament before World War II in the 1930s. The third one was really the reindustrialization of Europe and Japan in the 50s and 60s. And it ran from 1962 to 1995. That was a 33-year cycle. And the last one we were in started in 1996. That was the bottom of the commodity cycle. And it's run to 2020, where it bottomed out uh, last year in spring. Now, the fourth one began in the, late, in the mid to late 1990s with the rapid industrialization of, of China. And many are thinking that because prices looked like they bottomed and started to turn, that the spring of 2020 could be that date where we could beginning, could be at the beginning of a long-term super cycle. And that's certainly what some of the big investment houses like J.P. Morgan believe. And if that's right, then we're starting the fifth super cycle. And of course, if these are longer term, uh, investors need to be focused on the fact that if these have longer runs, then prices could go up 200, 300 percent 
Uh, this is something that you definitely want to focus on, uh, not, not forever, but uh, for a period of time. And it's important to understand that low prices get everybody depressed, but low prices are the cure for low prices because when there's low prices, the inefficient producers get out of business, and high prices are the cure for high prices. When high prices are around, everybody's making money, everybody piles in, and eventually supply overwhelms demand. This is a boom-bust business, and it needs to be invested in accordingly. So you got to be cautious, right? Gotta, you got to pay attention here. Don't get too greedy. That's uh, definitely an understatement. <laughs> now, there's two cycles that alternate over the long term. And the world's economy generally has a financial asset cycle, which is virtually anything that isn't a commodity, and a commodity asset cycle. They are countercyclical to each other, meaning that one is hot when the other is in the performance trash bin. So, for example, between 2000 and 2012, if you had exposure to the S&P 500, which is mostly financial assets, you would have broken even. But during that period, commodity stocks, especially the metals, were on fire. The reverse has taken place between 2013 and 2020. Financial assets, which is anything non-commodity, led the charge, while commodities and commodity stocks were beaten up badly and did nothing but go down for, for almost eight years. So if you want to make money, you have to understand whether you're in a commodity asset or a financial asset cycle or a super cycle, and then weigh out your capital accordingly. And there's many things that make it look like we could be entering a long-term super cycle for especially metals because of the fact that they've been underinvested in so long and it takes eight to ten years before supply could start to catch up. So, would it be, Ron, if you know the people that are out there that are listening to this and they they don't have a, a great breadth of knowledge on this particular sector? We we often talk about an ETF as a great way to play here, right? An ETF is a great play because uh, you, you know you're probably looking at a chart I sent you, Gord, which just shows how commodities have done year over year. For example, in 2018, lead was up 18% because of battery use, while zinc was down 24%. So buying a basket of mining stocks lowers the risk of having exposure to one sector or one metal, and that metal might not be performing well. So the easiest way to do this is owning a broad basket of commodities, and an ETF is certainly one of the easier ways of doing that. An example is the Spider S&P Global Natural Resources ETF, and the symbol's GNR trades uh, on, in the U.S. Now, this exchange-traded fund spreads the risk across three commodity sectors, so you get exposure to agriculture, which is one-third. One-third is energy, and the other third is mining. So for those individuals who aren't, um, don't have the time, the interest, or the expertise, an ETF that has a basket of these things is probably a better play. And here again, if you Google uh, natural resource ETFs, global ones, you'll come up with page after page of Googles. And this is just one example to look at. So we have to reach some conclusions here, Ron. How do we, how do we draw conclusions from what we've talked about here? So if we end up in an, a normal commodity cycle, and they typically run 12 to 18 months, this is an environment where if you want to play, 
your short-term trade. You don't buy these things and walk down the aisle with them. Now, there's a possibility, as we talked about, that we're starting a long-term commodity super cycle, especially in metals that could be used in uh, electric vehicles. And if this happens, uh, one of the main reasons is because producers have seen low prices that have been starved of capital for nine years. They've spent very little on exploration, building reserves or infrastructure, and any increase in demand would catch them short and take years to catch up. This could push stocks much higher. So over the last six commodity super cycles we've seen since 1400, since 1800, the average bull market has been 217% and lasted 16 years. Like these are phenomenal returns. So currently most mining stocks are priced at where they were nine years ago. In the last couple of weeks they've had a bit of an upturn. But there could be lots of energy left. So you want to be paying attention to this. Also, prices have had a big move already. And so you just don't want to dive in. Uh, and things, the markets are generally speculative. So what I'm doing personally is I'm waiting for a pullback, and then I'll pick up bargains as I find them. So you've got to be selective here. Number four is watch the development of the e-cars. If reality matches the hype, and it usually never does, but I think with government legislation coming, it's going to mean that electric vehicles are going to take off because other vehicles are not going to be allowed on the road. And there'll be enormous demand for nickel, copper, cobalt, lithium, rare earth metals, and, and that's where you want to focus. The biggest upsides could uh, come, frankly, even outside this in uranium, which has been left for dead for 20 years. And because there's been virtually no investment in the sector, eventually that's going to turn around. If inflation goes higher as expected because of the massive increase in money, supply, and subsequent currency debasement, precious metals would be an important diversifier in a portfolio. And industry-recommended weightings are between 5 and 10%. I know personally that's where my weightings are. And number seven, stay away from small-cap, high-debt plays in the sector. If commodity prices collapse, these investments get crushed. So there you have it, an overview of the sector. Okay, Ron, I, just, you know, I can't help but thinking there's just a little irony tricking around in my brain right now. It was reported here, I don't know, within the last year, I think it was, that the oil sands have huge reserves of lithium in them. And I'm wondering if there's not something ironic going on. They have been the devil in many people's eyes, the oil sands. What if they have to start mining lithium up there? All of a sudden, does that everybody go, oh boy, aren't the oil sands a great thing? Do you see what I'm getting well, with I the irony? That could, uh, <laughs> you know, as the, as the technology approves, I think that could definitely happen because if you can find a way to profitably extract uh, lithium, and they're talking about going through the sands, that there's titanium and other minerals that they can get out of this, and it would just add to the profitability. So if you've got one income stream mining it, but you can end up with another income stream, like and and uh, who knows what else that they're they're going to be able to do, uh, maybe even producing hydrogen by by cracking the hydrocarbon atom itself and then storing the the CO2. So you know I don't think the the the, the industry that is composed of energy stocks, people are leaving this for dead. And I don't think that is the case at all. All right. One more question here from a listener before we go. This came to us from Kelly. 
What are my options for investing in safe and secure investments? Money market funds, GIC bonds, which is quite low. Uh, yeah, low, rates are low right now. But as we've talked about, if inflation rears its head, they could start to spike up in a hurry, right? Yeah, and so the definition of what low risk is changing. So if you have an investment paying 1%, you pay 50% of that in tax, and inflation is 2.5%, your real rate of return is minus 2%. And so over a decade, that means that your buying power has dropped 20%. So it's important to understand exactly where your risk is coming from. And right now, as much of your risk is coming from no return as it's coming from, or loss of return, due to inflation, as it's coming from market volatility. So, you know, I think a person wants to have a good mixture of dividend-paying stocks. I think a person wants to have some exposure to uh, some preferred shares. They're cheap right now, and many of the reset preferreds, if rates go up, uh, these should do quite well. And then for the rest of your cash, well, uh, you can go to a place called ratehub.com or ratehub.ca which shows essentially all the GIC rates of the most of the major institutions in Canada. There you'll find that some of the smaller institutions will offer you better rates of return, and you can electronically just transfer money to them. Now, you want to be careful with the smaller institutions because they're more likely to slide under the waves. And if they do, make sure they have CDIC, Canadian Depositors Insurance Protection. And if you want to qualify for that protection, make sure that your investment is $100,000 or less. And then right now it's just a matter of waiting. And if the money printing that's taking place has the effect on inflation, like I think it's going to have here over the next couple of years, we're going to see higher rates. And if you've got some cash sitting on the sidelines, I think you're going to have plenty of opportunities to lock in at higher rates and uh, generate better returns on your portfolio. So there you go, Kelly. Good luck with that. Rates are kind of low right now. There's not a whole lot you can do with them, and you don't want to be going in the hole. So maybe it's just best to let the cash sit there right now. Uh, Ron is back next week, as I will be. We're going to do something a little different, a departure this time, Ron. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm quite excited because <laughs> where this is going is I'm going to get a chance to, ex to interview you. And we're going to be talking about wine as an investment, we're also going to be talking about wine, what varietals, uh, varietals, the best. Yeah. yeah, yeah, returns, and uh, we're going to look at how to set up a wine cellar. And so uh, there's going to be lots of interesting stuff. So if you're interested in wine, uh, our expert definitely is Gord Whitehead, and we're going to be talking next week. This show is devoted to wine, and uh, we're actually looking quite forward to it. I'm going to find it intoxicating, personally. <laughs> All right, we're back next week then to delve into that on Making Money. Remember, if you have a question, you can reach us through our website. It's letsmakemoney.ca. Send it along, and Ron will answer it in upcoming episodes. You can also find us, access to us at cfcw.com. Uh, the show is called Making Money. We thank you for listening, and we'll join you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional.
The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.